Online with Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church. We pray that you are encouraged and enriched as you press on towards the cause of Christ. So going back years ago, I was in a band and we were shooting a music video for our latest single and we were scouting various locations and one of the locations was going to be in this beautiful church. It was a very orthodox, traditional, beautiful. It was one of those ancient churches built in like the 16, 1700s. So when we were finished uh, shooting our portion, one of the cameramen found a room in the back of this church and uh, the room was dimly lit and had a flickering effect on the wall from all the candles, hundreds of candles that were lit. And I wasn't aware of this, but he began to blow out those candles because he didn't have any regard and concern and uh, was basically mocking the observance of the candles. And when I found out, I was like, that, that can't happen. We need to go. I wasn't, I wasn't a Christ follower at that time and I wasn't an upstanding person of moral code or value, but I will say that I did in that time, to the best of my ability, try to honor um, other people's beliefs and other people's convictions. And so I was shocked. I was embarrassed. And after we got those guys out of there, I went back and I relit some of those candles. I, I mean, I tried to relight all of them. I may have relit some that weren't originally lit, but um, I was a little ashamed. I'm actually a little ashamed to even announce that again. Even, I, even though I wasn't the one who did it, it doesn't matter. I was guilty by association because I recognized some sacred things. There's things that are sacred to people. Have you ever read the Bible and come across a phrasing or a passage that maybe you've read a dozen times? And I don't know, just in that moment, it comes to life and it, it reads differently. That's what recently happened to me. Uh, this happens quite often, but for what I want to talk about today, this is one of those moments I've read something over and over again, and I could not move past a particular phrase. Let me read it to you. It's Matthew chapter five, verses one and two. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them saying, stop. It says in verse two, he opened his mouth. If you're not careful, you'll move past that phrase. Um, it almost seems redundant. Some Bible versions have actually left it out because the translators felt like that's a redundant phrase. It doesn't really fit our Western culture when we're reading it. Um, but I believe there's a significance in that phrasing. In our culture, we take oaths. We do that in courtrooms. See, do you know why we take oaths? Oaths are something that add veracity. They add verity to the ordinary. I'm getting ready to say something, but before I do this something, I want to let you know that what I'm getting ready to say has a greater value in meaning. Oaths are symbolic, right? They're established and intended through a particular process to become sacred. Have you ever noticed that we have kind of a leaning or a proclivity to blow out people's candles, to desanctify, to make things ordinary and average. Because if I find out that you have a higher standard, if you hold something sacred, that tells me then I have to honor that. We see this all the time. There's a lot of conflict in church because somebody thinks something is holy and untouchable and you either respect it that way or you know, you're a bad Christian or you don't love God. So what do we do? I think a lot of times we go out of our way to normalize a lot of what's around us. Why don't, we don't want any sacred spaces. We don't want any areas of our life that are supposed to be set apart or holy or valued in a, in a new way. 
Uh, I wonder if you have sacred spaces. What's special to you? If I came to your house on Thanksgiving and you served me on some fine china that was passed down from, you know, six generations, would you appreciate if I just scraped my fork and knife across those plates? Or would you want me to recognize that these plates are sacred? You know, they have a value to you, an intrinsic value. How about with your kids? If I just went on your TV and put on any movie I felt like watching, maybe you didn't agree with it. Maybe I crossed some lines. Maybe I wasn't treating your kids and your rules as if they were sacred. What do you hold as valuable? What do you hold as holy? Is there anything in your home or in your life that you hold of deep value that you would be willing to fight and protect? See, I believe that God is calling us to take back the sacred things. I'm not talking about religious things. I'm not talking about religious symbolic things that we put on our walls or, or we place in our yards and we say, see, now this is a sacred space. No, I'm talking about something far deeper. See, God occupies our hearts and our minds. He occupies our lives. I believe where we need to begin to plant some flags and reclaim sacred spaces is in our hearts and in our minds and in our homes. God is looking and calling us to take back the sacred things. What does that mean? I think this passage illustrates it perfectly. If you're not careful, you'll miss this. Go back, read verse two. He opened his mouth. See, when we see this phrase, recognize Jesus is beginning to do something. That's what I want to camp out on here opened his mouth. What is the significance of this phrase? Because if you're not careful, you'll miss it. You'll find this phrasing multiple times in scripture, but what you're getting ready to do, you're getting ready to see the establishment of something sacred. The author, when they wrote, when he wrote this, uh, and it's captured multiple places, recognized something sacred is getting ready to happen. That's why he took notes. I submit that we've we've lost the ability to recognize that which is holy and sacred. And from time to time, we got to be reminded. So this phrasing appears about seven times. Throughout the Bible, you'll find it in the Old Testament. You'll find it in, uh, in Numbers when Korah rebels against Moses. It says the earth opened its mouth. You'll find it in Revelation quite a few times. It says the beast opened his mouth and began to declare blasphemies. You'll see that Peter um, caught a fish later on in Matthew and opened its mouth and pulled a coin. So sometimes it's a very literal, appropriate use, but then you see these subtle uses. So this phrasing is a language device intended to add some solemnity to what is getting ready to happen. And that's what I want you to see by the conclusion of this message is there are actions that precede divine moments. Can I say that again? There's actions that precede divine moments. Look at your life for just a minute. You go through the day to day doing the average and doing the ordinary, but the expectation if you are a Christ follower is that at some point God's presence injects itself into your life, into your situation, into your circumstance, into a relationship, into sickness, into disease, into an area of your life, mental health challenges, depression, anxiety, fear. The hope is at some point God will supernaturally inject himself and the average and the ordinary becomes divine and sacred, becomes more than just the average and the ordinary. I love to talk about faith and how faith moves and lives and it does. And I really believe that not just locally, but globally, God is going to begin to call people to respond and act in new ways, ways that at first glance, they might seem small, they might seem insignificant. But when you put your spiritual glasses on and you see that the teacher is beginning to observe the 
crowd. You see that the teacher then moves to a place of elevation. The teacher then sits down. This teacher quiets the crowd and opens his mouth. What I want you to see is that all of those actions precede the divine spoken word of God. And this isn't just about the literal opening of the Bible and speaking it. We're talking about the breath of heaven. There are average day-to-day mundane things that you might find yourself doing. I want you to know that you're in process of preparation. You're in process as you walk things out. I'm talking about typical standard things like reading your Bible and praying and just showing up and being there and clinging to biblical standards in confidence and not just hope, but in the reality that as you begin to walk and as you begin to do, what you're actually doing is you're just setting the platform for a divine encounter. You're setting the platform for a divine moment because you don't know at which moment the master might be ready to sit down. The master might be getting ready to calm the crowd and pull the crowd to himself. The master's getting ready to take the higher platform to squat down and open his mouth and speak. And what comes out of the master's mouth is the divine. I want to talk to you about three aspects of the sacred moment, the sacred things. There are sacred things in your life that if we begin to recognize them, if you begin to recognize the sacred spaces the sacred things in your life. These are the things in your life that God should be occupying. Your marriage, your relationships, your interactions with other people. The presence of the church in the community should be a sacred place. It should be something that is representative of the presence and the glory of God in this hurting world. When your church becomes the beacon and lighthouse of not just good humanitarian acts, but the healing balm of the presence of the Holy Spirit, where people find not just water for the moment, like the woman at the well, but find living water for which they will never thirst again. Have you found the living water? Are you prepared to become a well in someone else's life? You will as you begin to acknowledge and recognize the sacred spaces. So let's go ahead and look at verse one. It tells us that Jesus sat down. Don't move too quickly because this is the preparation. A couple of things about this I want you to see is it tells us that when he saw the multitudes, what's important about this? What I want you to know is that when Jesus sees the multitudes, he also sees the individuals. He always sees the individuals. Why is he looking to the multitudes? Because Jesus is not a crowd chaser. In fact, it tells us the crowds chased him. Jesus is always about the individual. Why? He looks to the crowds because he's looking to the potential individual disciple. The people in the crowd who draw near to him to hear. Are you drawing near to God? Are you drawing out of the sea of people, out of the sea of churches, out of the sea of people that that claim and, and call themselves Christ followers, are you pressing in through the crowd to get to Christ? It tells us he went up and sat down. Don't move too fast. Recognize what the author is telling us here. First of all, Christ goes up to a place of elevation. Then he sits down. See, Jesus positioned himself in a place of not just effectiveness, but a place of authority. Do you know that God's word will should and will always be front and center? 
in the place of authority. Jesus Christ should always be in the place of authority. Jesus Christ should always be in the form of teaching the place of authority. Christ is not just another voice in the crowd, not just another voice of good teachers that have existed and came and went. Christ is not just another good philosopher, somebody that we can just say, oh yeah, and, and let's, just, let's just write down some of his, his goodwill teachings to make us feel better. Christ is authority. Christ is power. Christ is front and center. When Christ is lifted up, move to a higher place of elevation, and then Christ is seated in authority. Now, here's what I want you to understand. In, in the Jewish culture, uh, unlike our culture where we stand with a microphone and scream at people and, and wave our arms around to get attention, that's not how teaching took place in Christ's time. The master sat down and everybody else stood. And if you wanted to hear what the teacher had to say, you needed to press in. You had to get close to hear the teaching of the master. So I want to ask you, how are you preparing? Because what we see happen here in verse one of Matthew five, it's all about the preparation of something divine getting ready to happen. What's, what's going to happen? Well, we know Christ is going to deliver the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most powerful and effective teachings that Jesus ever delivered. And if we fail to recognize the seasons of preparation, then we will overlook the divine because to some, they realized that what was getting ready to happen was divine teaching in which they would hang their life on. Divine teaching that would echo through the halls of history and time and would end up in the eternal word of God. But for others, it was just another average, ordinary moment. Are you making preparation for the ordinary or are you preparing for the divine? The next thing we see here, it says the disciples came. This is about the response. Matthew 3, 13 through 19 tells us in another instance of this moment preceding the Sermon on the Mount that Christ went out and he called those he wanted and they came to him. So the night before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is up all night and he's praying and he goes out that day and he goes and he picks out all of his disciples. But I want you to catch this. Because it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and underline this, and they came to him. Disciples respond. Disciples respond. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people about the call. I'm being called to do this and I'm being called to do that. And I'm just sitting on the bench with my arms folded, waiting until the call comes to life, waiting until the call comes to fruition as if the call is something you're going to trip over. I got a cell phone in my pocket and it rings pretty regularly, not because I'm popular, but apparently a lot of telemarketers have my phone number. And so I get a lot of calls, but I don't answer the calls. You see, the call in your life, like your phone, could keep ringing. You could be getting the call, but unless you pick up the phone and answer and engage the call, that's all it will ever be is a call. You have to answer and respond. And Christ is calling you today. The question is, will you pick up the phone and will you answer? There's a lot of calling sitting in pews. There's a lot of calling that don't even make it to church. Many are called, but few are chosen. And we see Jesus went out and called those he wanted, but it was their duty to come to him. Now, we're, we're caught a little bit in one of those catch-22s because John 6.44 tells us that no man can come unless the Father draws him. And so we could say, well, God has to draw me for me to come. Yes, I believe that, but I believe there's something deeper. See, I believe you need to understand that you can't do this whenever you want. You can't just respond when you feel like it. You can't just give your life to the Lord whenever you just feel like doing it and say, you know, I'll put that off for later. And one day I think I'll just respond once I've kind of gotten, I sowed my oats a little bit and now I'm ready to answer. No, you need to understand that when the Father begins to draw you, you are commanded to come. 
You are commanded to be saved. In the moment when the Father is drawing you and calling your name and punching your ticket, it is in that moment when you sense conviction, even in this moment that you're listening to my voice, the Father is drawing you now. The question is, will you respond? Don't put it off till later. You are commanded today if you hear his voice. You must respond. You must be saved. You must give your life today because I can't guarantee you that you'll come in contact with this moment again. I realize the Father is always beckoning and always calling us. There is a time and a window and a season of grace when the Spirit of God is moving on your heart and pulling on you, saying, come, come to me. I'm calling to you. No man comes unless the Father draws him. How are you responding? Disciples, come. Are you coming to Jesus? Have you really entreated him? Have you really come to God? Disciples were all about. Some were perched on the, on the rock and somewhere kind of hanging out, then there were those that pressed in. How are you pressing in? How are you responding? So now the preparation's taking place and now it tells us Jesus opening his mouth. This is the reception. See, listeners, they recognize what was being said in the moment was more than just simple words. This was a defining moment. These are words to hang on. These are words to perch upon and move in a whole new way. Disciples of Jesus are teachable. They receive his word. Can I ask you, how do you receive God's word? Matthew 13, 18, it's the parable of the seed. I love this parable because what I've come to find in that parable is the kingdom of God is like a seed being scattered. The seed is good. The seed always yields. The seed is so good, it makes the birds hungry. It makes other things want to come and take the seed because of the potential of the seed. The problem in this parable is never the seed. It's the conditions surrounding the seed, primarily the soil. My question is, how do you receive God's word? Is your soil stony, shallow, lacking nutrients? The soil is your life. If the seed fails, it's not because the seed is bad, it's because the soil is bad. So I, I, here, look, we're gonna close this out and I wanna challenge you with a couple of things. Started this off talking about the sacred places because unless you begin to mark the areas in your life, the areas where you want God to show up, the areas that you deem this is sacred, this is holy ground. Prepare ye the way for the Lord. We gotta start taking back space in our homes. We have to start marking our minds and saying, this is space for God to occupy. Not these vile thoughts, not these thoughts of depression and suicide and self-harm. No, 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 no. I was made for more than this. Uh, I was made to be occupied by the presence of God. These are sacred spaces, but they'll never be sacred spaces if you find the things of God average and ordinary. Do you recognize God's holiness? Do you find the things of God ordinary to you? Is it just ordinary to come to church? Or do you have an expectation of something divine? How are you preparing God's work in you? How are you responding to God's work in you? His work through you and around you. How are you receiving his word? Oh, I pray that you could realize that it's on a simple, average, ordinary day that Jesus came walking through the temple. It's on a normal day. He saw a multitude of people who were sick 
and lame and broken. But for them, it would not be an ordinary day because in that day, Jesus would call to one of them and say, take up your mat and walk. It was a normal day for that sick cripple. It was a normal day of being by the well. It was a normal day of just sitting there and begging as he had done for so many years. It's the normal days. It's the average days. Do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise the small, the ordinary, and the average because in due time, at any point, at any moment, the master can speak. But if you don't pick up your mat and walk, you'll never experience the miracle. If you do not press into the master, you'll never be able to participate in the divine. But it really begins with one real simple question. Before you can receive Christ's words, you have to receive Christ. Have you received him? Do you want God to move you to a place of discipleship? Do you want God to look at the crowd but pick out the individual? I submit to you, Jesus is always looking for the individuals in the crowd. He's looking for the disciple. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me pray for you. Father, this is really a simple message. In a few short verses, we see the setup for something great, something divine, something out of the ordinary, something that's not average. But it would have been average if I didn't recognize that the one getting ready to speak, the one getting ready to do is more than just a man. You are the Christ, the King. And you can take the average and the ordinary and do the extraordinary, do the above, do the beyond. And we need that in our lives. I need that in my life. Lord, I invite you, just as you've invited me, I wanna be a disciple. Make me a disciple of Christ. Hey, if you prayed that, I'd love to hear from you. If the cry of your heart is to really move past the philosophies and principles of Christianity and become a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to connect with you. You can reach me at pastor at gardencitychurch.net. Uh, I'd like to be a part of your journey. I'm believing God is going to bring about a great work in your life, the kind of work that is going to shake your city, shake the nation for his glory. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I pray you were encouraged, enriched, and inspired to chase after God. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you take a minute and share it? Let's encourage each other with God's word. And remember, if you do not have a church to attend, we invite you to visit us at Garden City Church. We're located at 140 Bridge Street in Beverly, Massachusetts, and we meet in the Emmanuel Congregational Church building. If you need prayer or an encouragement, I invite you to email me at pastor at Garden City Church church.net or you can visit me online at aaronrios.com or any social media outlet hey till next time keep pressing on towards christ god bless you